Welcome to a brief chat for the week of January 13th, 2020. I'm Jason Crane, and no, there is no Owen Crane on this episode, and the reason is our schedules were quite out of the ordinary this week, and we never got a chance to sit down and record. So instead, we're going to dig back into the archives, back to August of 2019, very shortly after this show began, for three interviews with Liz Waters-Hyde from the Industrial Workers of the World, the IWW, the Wobblies. The Wobblies are my union, and they're a union very much unlike just about any other union that exists these days. That's, in fact, why they're my union. And I'd like you to get to know them a little better. So in case you missed it the first time around, here are three of the most popular episodes of this show with Liz Waters-Hyde. Liz, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for the invite. I'm totally excited to be here. I first learned about the IWW around the same time that I first learned about labor unions, which was in the late 90s, I guess, mid to late 90s. And around the same time that I went to this organizing school uh, run by the AFL-CIO, I also joined the IWW because although I knew if I was going to get a job in labor, it was going to be with some big union, I was pretty excited about what the IWW seemed to have been all about. And I went to a gathering, this is probably in 98 or 99, and, you know, it was, to to be fair, primarily middle-aged white guys kind of remembering the past. And it didn't <laughs> seem all that vibrant and exciting to me. And I kind of lost touch with the IWW. And then in recent years, I looked at things like the Burgerville Workers Union and Freelance Journalists Union, and it seemed like the IWW was actually starting to do real organizing, and in many cases, organizing constituencies that largely aren't touched by the big labor unions, the kind for whom I've worked for a lot of my life. It seems like a pretty exciting union again, and like a, a collection of people who are able to actually make a difference on the ground. And so I wonder if my perception of it kind of meshes with yours and and maybe uh, just your take on what the IWW is nowadays. Sure. So the IWW is a non-hierarchical worker-led labor union. So it makes it a little bit different than a lot of unions. It focuses on teaching workers the skills that are proven direct action tactics that get results. So we don't have organizers that will go in and organize your workplace for you and take care of your negotiations. We have organizers that will coach you and teach you how to talk to your fellow workers on your job and teach you, you know, how to be strategic and make decisions that work for your workplace. Um, so we're not a service union like a lot of the bigger business unions are, and we all typically have a shared value system and vision for being an anti-capitalist union, which is clearly defined in our constitution and the preamble of the constitution, which draws in a lot of labor activists and is uh, one of the more famous preambles and constitutions of the labor movement. Can you paint a little picture for folks of where the IWW came from? I mean, it's a, it's a very long history and we can't fit it all in in a show that's this short, but can you maybe give an idea of how the IWW got started, because it is it is a story that's very unlike a lot of the labor unions people know nowadays. So the IWW was founded in 1905, and it was a large group of anarchists, socialists, and labor movement folks that came together to basically discuss 
what was missing in the labor movement. So there had been unions at that time, but a lot of those unions weren't organizing with women. They weren't organizing with people of color. They were very craft oriented. So the IWW formed in order to take on organizing with everybody else. So we have a history of having women founders, people of color that helped found the union, organizing with those workers, organizing with undocumented workers and immigrant workers. And basically the workers that the bigger unions of the time had no interest in organizing with. And that's a tradition that we have continued to work on today. We are still you know, organizing with the workers that are left behind by the traditional unions here in the U.S. So we do work with undocumented workers. We are working on digital organizing to help workers that don't have a physical shop, physical workplace, such as the freelance journalist union. We are organizing with People that are termed as independent contractors and kind of navigating what is, you know, an independent contractor, sole proprietor versus an actual employee. And how is that workplace and type of employment changing now since the gig economy is becoming more and more popular? So that is something that we still apply to our organizing today. And we try to continue to be innovative in how we organize and who we organize with. One of the most recent big union organizing jobs I had began with a conversation with its uh, executive director for the region that I was in. And this is one of the largest labor unions in the United States. And he showed me this long slideshow and the kind of the cornerstone, the, the climactic part of the slideshow was a, an empty boardroom table in like the classic, you know, Gordon Gecko mid 80s greed is good kind of boardroom and it, you know everything is oak and mahogany and so on and so forth but there was nobody at the table and he pointed at this slide and he said we're trying to get more of our people at this table and I turned to him we were sitting in a very small office kind of horrified and I said I said is that what you think the purpose of labor organizing is to to get more people to have decisions in the evil that this table is largely creating. And he was kind of so shocked that I asked that question that it just, our conversation just derailed immediately. It, there was just nowhere to go. We had no common ground about which to speak. And that to me is still one of the most attractive things about the IWW is that the its aim does is not to just get workers a larger piece of a poisoned pie, but to actually think differently about you know, how we allocate resources, how we manage our social communities, things that a lot of unions just aren't even thinking about these days, in my opinion. I'd love your you know, response to that and feel free to disagree with me. Uh, no, I absolutely agree. The IWW in general has never been about getting more seats at the table. It's about breaking the table. Um, we want democratic workplaces first and foremost, but we also want a different system that you know, is fairer for everybody. Like the ultimate goal of the IWW is very clearly stated in our preamble and constitution, and that is to abolish the wage system. So we're not interested in just getting a seat or two at the table and having a little bit more say. We want a completely, you know, revamped system. We, we want worker-led, worker control workers to be able to determine how they're allocating resources and time, what projects they're working on, 
So it's it's much larger than than simply just having one or two people at the table. So I'm a, a little surprised that you know, a large union, that would be a goal. I guess I'm not entirely surprised, but it's just so kind of off kilter to what the IWW's bigger picture goals are that I don't think uh, a single organizer in our organization would say something like that. Yeah, I would hope no organizer would ever, but I've also worked for enough big unions that, you know, (laughs) I know what the reality on the ground about that is, unfortunately. One thing I really want to learn about is the IWW's organizing model and how it differs from that of the big unions, many of whom take on these kind of national campaigns where they go after an entire company at one time all across the U.S. Uh, Liz, can you come back tomorrow and talk about how the IWW organizes? Yeah, definitely. I'd love to. That's Liz Waters Hyde, a general executive board member of the IWW and co-founder of the Freelance Journalists Union. Uh, Liz, where can people find you online? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Tink and File. I'm happy to welcome again for today's show, Liz Waters Hyde, a general executive board member of the IWW and co-founder of the Freelance Journalists Union. Liz, welcome back. Thanks. I'm happy to be here again. Most of the unions I've worked for have uh, been engaged in a lot of big national campaigns where the idea is to bring some entire company to the negotiating table, you know, whether it's healthcare or hospitality or whatever it might be, and and to organize on this massive scale so that all workers get some kind of deal. That uh, just the 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 economy of scale of that requires an enormous union with tons and tons of organizers and tons and tons of resources, which is not something the IWW really has at its beck and call. And so I'm definitely curious to know more about the IWW's current organizing philosophy as it pertains to that and how you guys, you know, kind of organize in an environment without millions and millions of members' dollars to spend? That's a great question. We're not opposed to doing national campaigns, but because of our organizing model, it makes it a little bit difficult for us. We do keep our members' dues extremely low and on a sliding scale. Uh, The maximum dues you'll pay in the United States for IWW membership on a monthly basis is $33. And because we keep our dues low, we don't have a big reserve of money that we can um, you know, send resources to do outside organizing in shops across the country. Uh, and what we prefer to do instead is to really, rather than like being an outsider trying to enter in and, and organize shops that haven't really had workers request our assistance, we try to as workers reach out to us, teach them the skills that they need to become organizers themselves, to be able to talk to their coworkers and ask their coworkers about what they need and what would be useful for them. And that takes a lot of time and it's a lot of relationship building. So to, to try to do that at a, a national scale at like a large company would be extremely difficult because it, it is all relationship building. And I don't think there's really any way around that if you want a sustainable organizing campaign. So for us, it's more like organizing a particular shop and really getting the workers that are in that shop to be on board and dedicated because organizing takes several years. Um, you really have to have like a, a five-year dedication to being in that job and that struggle to be in a successful situation. 
And then once one shop is successful at organizing, then moving on to other shops in the area and then other shops in the country might hear about that and and contact us and want to organize. But to do all of the shops in a large company at one time for the IWW because of our model, I believe that would be really difficult. Just currently, we, we don't have the size and resources to do something like that. But I mean, ideally, one day we could. And I think for us, the the philosophy behind it and the mentality behind it is we want, we'd rather demonstrate doing good work and being successful and have a movement built out of that than to try to kind of outside build a movement in a particular company. Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely does. I know you mentioned to me uh, off the air that the IWW is involved not just in organizing in the U.S., but organizing internationally, uh, which is not all that common, really, in the world of labor. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about, about how you do that and maybe in, in what industries or what, what campaigns you're currently engaged in? At the IWW convention last year, um, we have a yearly convention where the union votes on what to endorse and any changes we're making. We voted to join the International Confederation of Labor, which is an international labor organization that includes the IWW here in North America. It includes the CNT in Spain, USI in Italy, and a number of other organizations across Europe, South America. And they can you can find them at CITICL.org. But we have been working with these other revolutionary unions and syndicalist unions that kind of share our values on communicating more across international lines so that we can learn from each other and build skills that uh, or share skills across the different unions and see what works and what doesn't work, but also to coordinate on our campaigns. Um, so one example is before we joined the ICL, um, there was an online Amazon push, and this has happened a couple of times since then, but the uh, the warehouses in Spain, which were organized by the CGT in Spain, um, reached out to the IWW here in North America to help with their online social media campaign during the Amazon strike, uh, which I believe was last year in Spain. And so we actually assisted with pushing their social media campaign through Twitter and Facebook and uh, were able to kind of disseminate that information to our North American branches here in the U.S. and Canada to assist them with that. So the point of this is when you think of organizing, and I think one of your last questions was about national organizing or organizing these national companies. Well, most companies aren't just national companies anymore. They are actually international companies. So what we've seen in the IWW, going even back to the Starbucks campaign that we had several years ago, is international support. And what happens is if you are communicating well with these other unions, then you get support within your strikes and boycotts and escalation. So, um, for example... With Starbucks, we had uh, European union members were boycotting and um, picketing outside of Starbucks 
in Europe while we had our campaign going on here in the United States. And similarly with Amazon, you know, we were assisting with that. Um, and, you know, coming out of that, there's been more and more movement in labor organizing for Amazon here in the United States. So uh, while it's not currently an IWW campaign to organize the Amazon workers, we do think that focusing on collaborating with other unions internationally and even here in the U.S. to really target these giant multinational companies is probably a better strategy than trying to go at it as one one individual union in one city or in one country. And I think we've seen time and time again how American companies really otherize workers in other places and kind of pit foreign workers, so to speak, against uh, workers here uh, in America. And I think that, that kind of having these open lines of communication seems like a pretty good defense against that. If workers actually know one another and understand that they're you know fighting the same evils and that they're sharing the same life stories in many ways, it seems like a great way to to prevent that kind of us against them that bosses like to use so often. Definitely. And it also goes both ways because unions are actually a lot more popular in Europe and like are just kind of a normalized thing there. So for the European um, stores or shops that have already been unionized, and that is the standard over there for them to hear that their, you know, North American counterparts are being like subjected to these roadblocks in their labor organizing, it makes those workers really angry and they really do want to get involved and empathize with what we're working on. So it's not only helpful for workers that are in other countries that aren't treated as well, there's the opposite also happening where, you know, the American workers themselves are not treated as well as, you know, the European counterparts in the same exact companies. Liz, can you come back for one more day and uh, talk maybe about the Freelance Journalist Union and other things? Sure, I'd love to. Will you tell people where to find the IWW online if they'd like to get more information and become members? We have a website, IWW.org, as well as we are on Twitter. Um, we are at IWW. I'm also glad to welcome back for uh, the third and final day, Liz Waters Hyde, a general executive board member of the IWW and co-founder of the Freelance Journalist Union. Liz, welcome back. Hi, thanks for having me back. <laughs> so if any group of workers sounds difficult to organize, uh, freelance workers sounds incredibly, incredibly difficult because by the nature of the job, these are not folks working in the same workplace. Uh, by the nature of the job, they are often in competition with one another for you know scant amounts of work. And yet the Freelance Journalist Union exists, and I'd love to hear more about it and, and find out what it's working on. The Freelance Journalist Union is something that came out of the IWW's New York City branch. We co-founded it back in September of 2018, and it went public earlier this year in 2019 and was a big hit on Twitter. <laughs> and we have been recruiting freelancers you know, throughout the year. We are about to charter our first Freelance Journalist Union, Industrial Union 450 branch here in New York City, which is really exciting. But this project has been gaining steam, especially online. It's a little bit different because freelancers, as I'm sure you are aware, they're considered independent contractors. So they're not falling under the same labor law as usually unions would uh, be able to 
you know, work in a shop and unionize a specific location of a company. Well, freelance journalists are independent contractors, so they are not subject to those same laws. They, you can't have a collective bargaining unit currently with independent contractors. And they are just subject to different labor laws than a typical employee or company would be. That's one of the first hurdles of organizing with freelancers. And as you said, they are in competition with, with each other. Uh, so a lot of what we've been doing is trying to convince freelance journalists that they are better together. So what that means is, for example, one of the biggest complaints that we've seen freelance journalists have about the industry is trying to get paid. <laughs> they, they often get ghosted when it's time to pay them for their stories. So one freelance journalist, you know, fighting against one particular outlet to get paid, you run the risk of, you know, if you step over a line, you run the risk of being blacklisted from that outlet and not getting work from them anymore. But if you have a group of freelance journalists that are kind of pushing back on that outlet, they're not going to blacklist any one individual. So your, your job and how you're making money is a lot safer. You, as a collective group, have a lot more leverage and power than as an individual. This is the same you know, concept that we apply to organizing regular employees and staff members, but you really have to kind of point it out to freelance journalists and independent contractors in general, because they are freelance journalists are not the only independent contractors that we're working with, um, and really point out that they are better together and that they do have more power than the working class in general has more power when we stick together rather than, you know, try to fight as an individual, which you're never going to win over, you know, these large media companies as one person. But together, you do have more leverage and you have leverage to get paid on time. You have leverage to change the industry to make it more beneficial to the workers that are in there and to make it more fair. So we've been working with freelancers from all over the country, all over the world. And it's um, very interesting for the IWW because it is a digital model, which is not something that we have, you know, really tried before. We are traditionally organizing in a physical workplace and, you know, mapping that workplace out and talking to people. So now we have, you know, really embraced technology and, and try to figure out how do you organize people that are not in the same location. So that's kind of been a, a big ongoing project. It's been pretty successful so far, and we're really excited about it. As we uh, are drawing to a close here, I just I want to shift away from the organizations and, and just ask about you for a minute. Uh, how did you get interested in, in doing what you're doing in the world? How did you become aware of organizing and the labor movement? How did you get radicalized and how did you decide to, to do this as your vocation? Oh, my. Um, <laughs> I came from a working class, one parent household and was radicalized in high school from probably a, from, you know, my mom having to deal with being a working parent, but also B, from listening to a, a lot of political punk music. <laughs> so as I grew up and became an adult, I definitely stayed kind of in that political DIY activist scene. And labor issues have always been kind of my focus because I believe you spend eight or more hours a day with your coworkers. So what is a better place to, you know, teach people about your values and how they can you know, defend themselves and you know, advocate for themselves than at the workplace. For me, I, I joined the IWW 
during the Occupy Wall Street movement, when I was out in Chicago and have been kind of working with them since then, I ended up going to university to study human rights. And now I work in communications for grassroots social justice nonprofits and unions. So that's kind of how I ended up here. <laughs> and what is your role as a general executive board member of the IWW? The general executive board oversees how the union functions throughout the year in between our conventions and referendums. So our union is extremely democratic and the members are ultimately the um, decision makers. But in between, you know, our yearly convention where we introduce new resolutions and new uh, ideas and structures, the general executive board is elected to facilitate the function of the union. So the administration helping with the financial and legal aspects and proposing more changes for the union to our conventions and facilitating the conventions themselves. It's an elected position, so it's it's changed yearly. And can anybody become a member of the IWW? Just about anyone can become a member. You cannot become a member if you are a boss, and you cannot become a member if you are in law enforcement or are a prison guard. Will you remind folks one more time how to find out more about the IWW? Sure. You can visit us online at iww.org, or you can visit us at Twitter at IWW. My guest for the first three days of this week has been Liz Waters-Hyde, General Executive Board Member of the IWW and co-founder of the Freelance Journalists Union. Uh, Liz, it's been a pleasure to follow you for quite a while now on social media and uh, even more of a pleasure to finally get to talk to you. Thanks for all the great work you're doing and thanks for coming on a brief chat to talk about it. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for checking out this archive collection of interviews with Liz Waters-Hyde from the Industrial Workers of the World. You can learn more about them at IWW.org, and from that site, you can get to all of the other things that the IWW does. And I hope you will, and I hope you'll join. Meanwhile, you can find out more about this show at abriefchat.com. You can follow Owen on Twitter at ShimmyLizard, just like it sounds. You can follow me at Jason D. Crane. You can follow the show on Instagram at a brief chat. I love you. A better world is possible. Beep, beep.